Welcome to The Underlay, a Clever Choice podcast, where we go inside and under the flooring industry. Hi guys, and it's episode eight of The Underlay, a Clever Choice flooring podcast. And it's amazing we've got this far, Michael. It sure is, Matt. It's been a great uh, journey. Has. And uh, learning a lot along the way. We are, uh, we about, are. About all our guests and um, I guess ourselves. Uh, well, yes, probably more about ourselves than about our guests, that's for sure. <laughs> and look, today we've got a special guest with us in the panic room, Josh Marquise from Marquise Flooring. How are you, mate? Very good, very good, thanks. I'm a little, uh, what we call it, uh, apprehensive, uh, something new for me, but I'm excited. We like excited apprehension. Story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, look, and mate, own a wonderful business up there at Narang. Yes. Been around for a long time. Very long. I want to hit you hard at the start. Mm-hmm. You're a Manly fan. <laughs> that wasn't on the list. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and, and the reason I ask is because I too am a Manly fan. Oh, you are? Okay, yes. okay. It, usually it's only ever brought up because someone's about to either have a dig at me or because they're a secret Manly fan as yeah. well. So No, no, I'm not secret. I, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm well, proud. You're, yeah, you're secret until you find another Manly exactly. fan and then you tell everyone. Exactly. Yeah, so I am a Manly fan. I was actually born in Manly Hospital. Um, Excellent. Which is no longer there, but yep. uh, yeah, so yep. mainly fan for when they're doing well anyway. So you're from the Northern Beaches? Yes. Me too? Yes. Yeah, yes. Collaroy. Yes, right. Yeah, so there we go. The family moved up early, but I yeah. was, yeah, born in, well, originally born in Manly and obviously I stick to my um, origins, so. Absolutely. So well, that's good. So that's, that's, well. that's you, that's me, that's my wife, that's my son and my daughter. Right. So there's five of us. Okay. Yeah, wonderful. Manly, five Manly's Manly fans do, on the Manly's Gold Coast. doing really well. <laughs> we won't hold that against you. <laughs> Hang on, mate. You go for the Tigers. Let's not even get. Don't even get started. Hey, that's right? for another episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Perennial wooden spoon. At least Manly uh, have had their run of good of good. Um, yeah, I'm con- a little concerned about next year. <laughs> Just a little, but you know. Yeah. We're, I'm fairly certain we'll finish above the Tigers. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, there was yeah. two good things that happened in 2005. In 2005. Yeah, there we go. I know. 17 two, years ago. Two yeah. good things. One, my son was born. Yep. My second son, Cruz. And the Tigers finally <laughs> got a win in my lifetime. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't plan on having any more kids. Nothing so <laughs> that says a lot for the Tigers. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> look, now, look, in all seriousness, it's a pleasure having a Manly fan Thanks. in the panic room. Usually I'm <laughs> under the pump. Okay. Uh, but I feel like we're in the majority, Beautiful. which is nice. Yes, wonderful. Uh, mate, so Marquise Flooring, been around since 86. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. That's that's pretty amazing in itself. Right. Well, it kind of starts in some ways before 86 because my father, Alberto, uh, had actually been doing flooring since the age of 14. Wow. Um, so I don't even, my maths isn't quick enough this time of the morning to work that out. But at age 14, he was hand laying parquetry with tar, like really old school style wow. of, of flooring and continued to do that on and off as he grew, uh, as he grew up. So then coming to Australia as someone who didn't know all that much English, I guess stuck to what his roots were and continued doing timber related, which at the time actually was cork. Um, but timber-related flooring in Australia in 86. Um, at the time, I'm, uh, you know, going back through stories, I remember hearing that Dad was one of the only people that could deal with cork um, in the way that it needed to be deal with, dealt with. And as 
and even like your parquetries and your hand laid, like your really, really intricate things. So he was sort of, um, I guess he was in a good spot knowing that timber flooring and cork was starting to take off around that sort of time. Cork was massive in the 80s. Yeah, big time. Like most houses had it. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And no one knew how to actually deal with it as far as how to re-sand it, how to treat it, how to look after it. So he had a pretty good little niche um, in the beginning, and that was back in Sydney that the business actually was started uh, in 86. And it was probably for about only about a year or two down in Sydney before then the family moved, or mum and dad and myself at the time, um, as only a little... Whippersnapper, I was probably only a year or two old then. Yeah, would have been about a year or two old. Yeah. Then moved up to the Gold Coast. Um, it was always Marquis Flooring. Um, you know, started like everyone else in the garage, little showroom sort of built into the garage at home. People would come to our house. and um, But at the time when we started, we were actually a supply and install business, um, doing all the actual work ourselves. And only, I, I guess he slowly expanded... Um, as time grew with a few more teams and then eventually had a little location that we people would come to and then, oh, there's a lot in between, but I guess, yeah. as they say, the rest in between is history. So, Where, where was your first location? Uh, it was actually only about eight doors up from where we are now. So in Lawrence Drive down in Narang, um, about eight doors up from where we are now. I think it's a security company or something right now. We were there for only about a year yep. and then moved into where we are right now. So we've been in our exact location now for about 33-odd years, which seems crazy, especially yeah. when you go through the photos and you see all the differences and how we've expanded into different factories. And it's just, yeah, I guess it's one of those things. It feels like not a lot's happened, but then when you look back at through, back through all the stages and milestones, you realise, wow, this, is, this has come a long way and been through a lot. So flooring's in your blood? Big time. Yeah, big time. Always been obsessed with it. Um, you know, Dad was one of those ones, like every tradesman father, that we, as we were driving around as kids, it was always, see that house? I did that floor. And see that building? I did that floor. <laughs> and and I guess before I was even in the flooring industry, I was always trained second nature to walk into anywhere and always look straight down at the floor and what is it and where'd it come from and did my dad possibly do it? Um, so it's always been something that's just constantly on on the family's radar. And it's I guess it's what we live and breathe and... And I guess we, um, you feel it when you come in. When you come into the business, you definitely feel it between us and the and the rest of the team. Well, it's funny because for, with everyone that we've spoken to, it's it's so innate. Yeah. It, it's it's like you're born to do it. It it there's it's in the blood. Like everyone we're talking to, and everyone is so passionate about yeah. it. And I think, obviously, successful businesses, you're going to be passionate. But there's something different that I'm noticing that I've not that I really haven't seen in any other industry where yeah. it's it's these people are born for flooring. It almost seems like, well, it sounds corny, but it really does. And I don't know if it's tied into, like obviously there's a nice pre-finished products that we have in the industry, but I don't know if it's tied back to the fact that we're dealing with natural products. Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah. And it, I guess we give them the the life and time and love that they need to be to be done right. And the beauty of it is that you could spend you know, a month or two or six months or some some projects take us a year, but on a project and the neighbour could ask for exactly the same thing, but their whole experience would be different and their whole floor would be, you know, their own, um, it'll have its own intric intricacies that, you know, are just for their floor because it is natural. No two floors are ever exactly the same. It's 
Yeah. And I think that's what makes it beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it truly is a sense of beauty. And um, I know that's the reason I've stuck around timber flooring, cabinet yep. making and all that, you know, my whole life. Um, to start with, I guess, a block of wood and then see the finished pro- um, product. Yeah. Um, and actually stand back and see that sense of beauty and that warmth um, that I don't think you get from any other sort of materials. I don't either. And I think the funny thing was is, is when I think back, we used to always talk to, you know, we've always been in touch with architects and designers when it comes to what's coming and, and what, you know, what are the trends? And now we're actually the ones that are telling them. But what we always found was funny was that everything would always start from what they would call the heart of the home out. And they'd always design homes from the kitchen out because yeah. that was what they said was the biggest sort of most important part. But you now fly, you now find that every single time now it's always from the ground up mm. because they've slowly understood that flooring and specifically a natural product is the most important part of every project now it really sets off the actual the overall feel for the entire project and all selections seem to start with the floor so we love it and it's not like it was by plan but that's eventually how it's become but you know in saying that it's it's the most well it's the most important part of the house yeah it's the part that gets used the most yeah it's the it's your foundation. Yeah. And, and it's funny, I, I was just thinking as you were talking there, and I'm a golfer. Used to be, but not so much now, but I'm a golfer. And I used to laugh at the people that would go out and spend $1,500 on a, on a new driver, mm-hmm. but they'd spend $50 on a putter. Right. Now, from experience, you use the putter way more than you use the driver. Yes. You use the putter on every single hole. Yep. It makes or breaks your game. Spend the $1,000 on the putter... Spend the five hundred or three hundred dollars on the on the driver. That and it's the same with your flooring. Yep. I think it begins there. It's yes. your foundation. Yep. So that's where it's got to start. Right? Yep. Yep. And Absolutely. and thankfully for you guys, it comes around and eventually people realise just how important it is. It is. And it's also the hardest thing to change too. So if you get it wrong, you know, it's not as simple as changing some taps in your house. It's yeah. it's a a big change overall. Yeah. Um, so we give it the time that it needs, and I think that's that's why we, we love it. I think that's why we've got our own unique spot in the industry because we, we don't treat it like buying a T-shirt. We realise that it's a long-term decision. Um, it comes with a lot of benefits. Um, so we give it we give it the time that it deserves to make sure we pick the right thing, or we don't pick it, the customer eventually picks it. So it must be interesting because you just said that you give it the time it deserves, and then I was going to ask a question about, well, who's your ideal customer? Now, I think you'd be quite selective on who your ideal customer is. We are at times. We, um, as a team, we do sometimes collectively agree that someone might, might not be the right customer for us. But in saying that, the business is, is, is obviously quite old. But what that means is that we've um, adapted. And it's almost like we have a sector of the business for every sector of the market. Now, we never want to say that we're, everyone's our customer because everyone isn't our customer, but we have your mum and dad's side of the industry. We've got the architects and designers who want something specific. We've got the people that come to us with no budget whatsoever and they just say, we need this specifically and you're the only ones for it. Um and then we do get some of the people that come through and obviously budget is their biggest thing and sometimes we can we can help those. Um, but I guess the one part of the market that we won't really help a lot or we can't help a lot of the people who just need something, don't really care for much of the detail, um, there's other people for that, I guess. Yeah. Um, we'll leave that to them and we'll, 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 that gives us more time to spend with the people that 
want to pick the right thing and want to give it the time that it needs to. So we kind of have, it's hard to say an ideal customer because, yeah, there's ideals in each part of the sector that we can we can tap into if we really, really need to. But I guess the ideal customer, going back to what we were originally saying, is someone who also sees the beauty and how important the flooring choice will be is probably our ideal customer yep. in a looser sense. Spending a lot of time at Marquis Flooring. Uh, one thing I do know is the time that you spend with each customer. Yeah. Um, so it might not, not necessarily be the ideal customer, but what I've noticed you and your team do really well is really get to know your yeah. customer needs. Yeah, big time. It's um, it's the long run. It's definitely a long, like a long way to do it and it takes a lot of patience um, because we know, you know, we only have to go into any competitors for a few minutes and we see how different we are compared to them. Someone will come in and ask them for something and they'll just point it straight out to them and away they go trying to ram it down their throat. Whereas we sort of, we flip the whole thing on its head, I guess. And when someone comes in to see us, it's, um, you know, it's not, we need a floor. It's okay. Well, everyone needs a floor. What do you need it to do? What are the benefits that you want from it? Because you can either be someone who wants it to be natural, unique. You could be someone who wants it to be the most durable thing in the world. You want it to be a specific color. So we kind of spend the time to find out exactly what their needs are, um, to find them something that suits exactly what they after they're after. And most of the time, when someone comes in with an idea in their mind, they often walk out with something that's actually different, but perfect for what for, for exactly what they're after. Um, and I think that's where it's helped our business long term. Whilst it's a very very slow burn, it means that the people who are walking away from us. Um, with a beautiful floor, have got a, a big story that goes with it, which usually means that 5, 10, 15 of their friends are coming back with a, hey, you guys did my neighbour, my auntie, my mum, whatever it might have been, and she's just over the moon with it. Um, we think we want this, but we know we need to come and see you because you're probably going to steer us in the in a different direction. Um, and I think people are taken back by that because there's so many places you can get flooring and so many places you can you can select things and, and, and I guess it's weird when they have the same thing happen in every single store, which will be they just point them out to the cheapest thing and here you go, this is what you want. And then they come to us and all of a sudden we're asking them questions and they're like, this is a bit odd. But at the end, they because we've spent the time, as you say, Michael, to, to, to chat to the customers, to really understand what their project is, what the benefit is, what the main thing they want to get out of it, they then really understand that we really understand them so there's this common, I guess, this trust between us that they know that we're going to be the right people to, you know, steer them in the right path. Um, and in the end, we're not telling them what they want. In the end, it's, it becomes clear to them what's the best option. Um, and I guess we love that because then they're advocates for flooring and, and for Marquis Flooring. And I think trust is um, is the key word there. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, you know, we've become such good, um, yeah. I guess, business partners, yes. uh, friends. Yep. Um, been doing business for over 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that trust. The fact that, um, you know, we've got very, I believe, similar values. Yep. Um, and it's nothing for you and I to pick up the phone and have a chat and have a discussion. And, and in an honest way as well. Yeah, in a very honest way and basically trying to solve the customer's needs. Yep. Uh, for whatever that might be yep. at the time on the particular jobs and working together. And it's definitely a reason that, you know, clever choice um, you know, I was proud to sort of be a partner of, of uh, Mark's Flooring yeah. for that um, unique business that you've created and yep. most importantly, you know, the trust that you have with your clients and 
you know, to think, you know, from 1986, you said when you drive around and think, did we do that home? Yeah. It'd be a huge portion of homes that you actually have done. <laughs> we probably have actually, yeah. <laughs> we probably have. The, the string of jobs goes goes way back. It's, I mean, I, I know that we've, it's always been something in our nature that we've been handpicked for projects. I remember back in the days when we used to actually do flooring ourselves. You know, and my dad says similar stories as well where I'll come out of a, he, he or I would come out of a house, just finish doing a quote with the customer. The customer's probably already said, yeah, yeah, please just go ahead. When can you start? And we haven't even given them a quote yet. And on our way out, we'll walk, you know, there'll be another flooring guy that will turn up and he'll see us and be like, let's go. I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> <laughs> he might've been the guy who ended up doing the job for us anyway. And we would have, you know, guided him through how to do it right. But yeah, that's just sort of the differences that I guess that we, you know, we probably lose a lot of work. Um, but the one, the jobs that we gain are the, are the, are the really important ones that have some, that give us the opportunity to put a love in it that we, that we want to. And that's another thing that I also notice when I come into your shop is that your dad Alberto, he's always around yeah. and, you know, a feature to your business still yep. today. Yep. Um, real family values, yep. um, to see him still very, um, invested in the business, yep. um, around having yep. that personality that he has like, always made me feel welcome every time I'm there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to extend that into your staff, you know, I see that you celebrate all your staff achievements, um, whether it's their birthdays, whether it's awards or whatever it is. Um, you know, what's the motivation behind all that? I think it's the principles instilled originally from my father. And I guess it helps being from Portugal, you know, very family orientated and everything's about, you know, the family and uh, being loyal to one another. Um, you know, keeping, keeping the principles of being honest and doing the right thing. Um, often, there's parts of the of the flooring trade that there, there's parts of the job that people would do that probably no one would ever notice, but they definitely notice when they're not done. Um, and I think always knowing that the right thing to do is the right thing to do has been what's so important for us um, because, you know, if, if you're always doing that extra little bit or doing the little fine fini finishing touches that no one else is doing, then you again you're giving it that love that it's supposed to and that then extends even more into then your team and if you're going to give the project the love and respect that it should do you know your team should also get that as well and and our team aren't you know we don't have staff we don't have salespeople, we have just family members technically really is what we sort of feel like our staff are like they're just extended family who all share a common passion um as i said we don't have sales people as such we've got people that that make sales um, but they're definitely not salespeople. They're flooring consultants, and they again, they're they're an extension of the family who want to pass on those principles to our customers and show them that you know this is what we do. Um, and we know that every time that something's ever done wrong by someone, even if it is ourselves, you get caught out. So it's never worth it. It's always the long run, and being honest is always going to work out in the long run. We could make so many sales if we weren't honest, but that's not that's not enjoyable. That's not long term. Well, they're one off. Yeah, and they're one off. Yeah. They're one off. Like, oh, you want raving fans. You want people, yeah. as you said, you want referral business. You want their 10 friends. Yeah. And then their 10 friends. Yeah. And that's how a business succeeds. I think that the cookie cutter approach is just so dumb. And I think yeah. there is a time and place for that, yeah. as you said, and but they're not your client. No. So no. and we'll let we'll let them take those people. That's 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 for them. Yeah. There, there's there's yeah, there's there's usually enough work. 
to a point yeah. for everyone. There is. Uh, we always would like a little bit more. Of course. But I think if you are selective about who you service, yep. then that's only benefits your brand, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but to go back to the team, I think I could see early on when we had a, a big team of installers, I could see that too much was riding on my dad. Um, and I guess when I came into the business about it was actually, I, I feel so old when I say this, but I, when I come into the business about, I think it was about 18 years ago now, I could see that the only way that we could maybe reach more people was to instill the principles in more people within the team mm. so that it's not so heavily weighted on just my dad or myself. Um, and I think that's what we've done quite successfully is to, you know, to really empower the, the team like we've got such a great team they're just the best the best group of people and and seeing how they get seeing how they get along with customers and there's actually some people in our team which is kind of funny that some of our customers think are part of the family which is quite ironic because one of our staff members um danny has the strongest english accent that you've ever heard of <laughs> but yet people are like oh i think it's someone that's maybe one of your brothers or something and it's like you know that, and that but that's beautiful to show that someone hasn't actually someone's been so wowed by someone's passion that they haven't actually taken a step back and gone hang on a second they don't look anything like they have nothing <laughs> they're, they're no common interest yeah, yeah. but that's beautiful i love that i love that like i have so much trust in the team um and they do wonderful things, and it's uh, and I guess the more people we can empower to be part of the whole direction that we're heading, and, and getting the passion in everyone else means that we can help more people, and most importantly, help more people and uh, avoid the common in, the common errors that we do hear about in the industry, which obviously we don't like. Yeah, culture culture starts from the top, though, right? It does. So you know, you said it was your dad, then it was you, and then you've really got to. Yeah, I believe in in. I'm big on skill set. Yep. But I'm really big on hiring people. Yeah. Right. If you find the right people. Yeah. And you can bring them into your culture. Yeah. Teach them the way. Mm-hmm. They're going to be your greatest advocates. Yeah. Big time. Because the person who is the most knowledgeable, the most experienced, may not necessarily be the best fit for your business. No, and sometimes you've got to spend the first six to twelve months untraining them. Yeah. So you can train them. Yeah. In a, in a right way. I, I've had people come through before that were going to be possibly the best salesperson you've ever heard of, but that just not, that's not what we need. Mm. We need someone who's also got attitude, and you can't really train attitude. Um, you can help sort of, um, I guess, inflame it a little bit or make it a little bit more, get them a little bit more excited with certain things, but if, they, if they've got all the knowledge but no passion... I'd prefer the absolute opposite to yeah, that. for sure. Yeah, their core values have to align and yeah. we, we spend a lot of time at Clever doing the same. Yeah. You know, like finding that right person. Um, you know, we've had Greg, we've had Ian on and, you know, you've heard that their core values inside, yeah. deep inside, align. Yeah. Um, and that, like you said, they're things you can't train in someone. It's it's their beliefs. That's it's right. their passion. And obviously, like you said, for your customers to feel like they're business partners. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it makes your business yep. and makes it, you know, exciting. And you must be so proud to you know, have those comments when yep. the customers say that. Like, I know I feel the same. Uh, for so many years, I had people ask me, was I the owner of Clever? Yeah. Um, because I instilled that value in myself that, you know, I'm going to treat this business like it's my own. Yep. And I think when you have staff that do that, yep. there is no wrong. No, and it makes it easier for everyone. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the pinch point of all businesses is when it's 
one person's responsibility or, yeah. it's, or it's, you know, you're so reliant on one person. Yep. It's why businesses are declared insolvent if they're getting 75% of their business from one client, right? R- yeah. Because yeah. if you're relying on that one person, well, then you're dead. Yeah. And I think that you need to, and it's trust. Yes. Like we've used that word a lot today. Yeah. You've got to, you have to trust that yep. they're going to be yep. doing the right thing. And if you train them correctly and you instill the right values or they have the right values, it's, you're halfway there. Yeah. And it's easy to be honest. If you yeah. if you're honest, you you can have a shit memory. Yeah, uh, that's where I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, fine. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I just find that you know by being honest and sticking to the principles, and we all know our, our our values, and we often find that our best customers, when we take a step back, mimic almost the identical values as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So training, um, I believe you know the other part to values is an education. Yes. And I think for you to be able to be um, able to answer the questions and give the customer truly what what they want, yes. But most importantly, what they need, yep. You know, comes back to training, yes. Um, so how how do you and your team, you know, get that knowledge, or how have you over the years grown that knowledge to be able to offer that expertise, um, suggestions, and recommendations? Well, obviously, the first thing about understanding the right thing as far as a customer's concerned, is obviously, yeah, asking questions. And I, I often say if you want better answers from customers, you need to ask them better questions. But you need to know what you're talking about to know what questions to ask, I guess. So it's a case of never being um, too complacent about what we know um, because sometimes what we know is gold to other people. Um, but then also sharing, I guess we share amongst the team all the time the right way to do things, the right methods. Um, we know there's shortcuts that can be taken, but we know that the way the way to do it right is to do it the right way. Um, and that goes even further than our team. Um, we, we started doing it years ago where we not only train our staff, but we also train our customers. And that's what we do on a, on a daily basis to the point where we've even, you know, we even set up our own YouTube channel to do training where we invite people down, we do training and we do it a really laid back style because we want people to see that it's just, you know, everyday people that know a bit more than others, but really giving it a go. But we're sharing as much information we can with um, with the industry, with the public. At first we got a bit of slack from it because people were like, why are you giving away the secrets? And it's like, well, it's not secrets because mm. I feel like a better, edu- a, a more educated customer is going to make a far better decision. Um, because as soon as you start giving, as soon as we've got the opportunity to give the information to the customer on what makes the right product, all of a sudden we almost have no competitors mm-hmm. um, because no one else wants to spend the time with them. But sometimes no one else actually really understands the real details that are involved in it. So I think always knowing, for, for us always knowing how important it is to know what you're doing, um, but then to really train everyone on it. There's so many people that love holding secrets because they feel like that it makes them better than other people or they've got like an advantage over other. I feel like sharing as many things as we can with everyone is the best thing that we can do. And we've been trying to make that our aim is to share as much as we can. No secrets. There's no need to be secrets. Um, and I guess it works out eventually for us because then people are starting to know that, hey, these are the guys that you need to speak to to the point where, you know, we'll never obviously... Um, we never embarrass them, but we have quite a few so-called competitors that like to call us behind the scenes and, hey, what is this product? How do we sell it? And what are the benefits of it? And how do we install it? And, 
you know, they shouldn't be calling us about it, especially when they're when when their customers probably been in our shop as well. But we're happy to share it. We're happy to share it because we want them to do the right job as well, even if there's nothing nothing for us in it directly. Knowing that another floor got done correctly um, means that there's one less person that's going to possibly come in with a really terrible story that'll ruin it for everyone else. Um, so yeah, training. Training is just incredibly important and giving away information, not holding the secrets. Well, you know, we, we have this conversation often here on the podcast about the dreaded DIY, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas it's amazing that people want to try and DIY their own flooring, but mm. wow, it can open a kettle of fish. It can. Yeah. It can. But I guess, again, giving them the time to maybe help them to possibly do it right, if they do want to do it themselves, yeah. go for it. And we're open enough to say to them, you probably won't do it as well as a professional. Um, God, you'll be proud of yourself after it, that's for sure. Yeah. Especially if you do it right. Yeah. And, like, and take the time to get yeah. to know all the steps. Yeah. Not just, like we've spoken before, just clicking the boards together yeah. is one of probably 30 steps. Yeah. Yeah. And there's <laughs> about 100 steps that, that are involved before you even start clicking boards together as well. Yeah. We talk we talk a lot about preparation, don't we? Yeah. It's yeah. just like a yeah. painter. They don't go yeah. in and just start painting walls. They've got, there's just like a day's preparation before they even start painting. Yeah. Same with flooring. Yeah. Even probably worse. Yeah. And that seems to be an interesting thing that's popping up on nearly every podcast um, and every discussion we have is about the preparation. Um, Phil, one of one of our previous um, guests, you know, um, put it down to like a car, you know, um, that it spends weeks and sometimes months in a panel shop getting yeah. it all prepared before the painter who gets all the glory yep. comes in for a couple of hours yep. and puts a finishing touch on. And I think flooring is very much the same that, the laying of the floor yeah. is just the painter, yeah. but it's the panel beater, it's the floor levelers, it's prep. the grinding, the prep, yeah. and and the hours that and the right conditions, the right time at the right stage of the project, and then the right product. Like there's just so many things, and if one part of it's not done right, it can ruin the entire project, which is <laughs> scary. Yeah, which adds <laughs> to the pressure because I'm sure Michael will tell you there's uh, when a job's not done right. My God, it's about four times the price to fix it. Yeah. That's for sure. There's no easy fix. And I guess that's, you know, that sort of leads me to the next question. You know, that, uh, or actually a statement, one, that's what customers can get when they come to Marquis is is that um, right advice. Yep. Um, and then secondly, um, your, your store is quite unique. Yes. It's uh, not a traditional carpet shop. Which I guess most, uh, you'd have to say, most flooring shores out there are traditionally a carpet shop that yep. sells timber. Correct. Yours is unique. Yeah, I think we might be, and maybe if someone out there is listening might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we might be one of the only businesses set up in this sense where we've got a showroom and design centre. Um, and to sort of summarise, we do we, what we always say to people is we do all the exciting products, meaning we do everything except for carpet and tiles, so... <laughs> Sorry, carpet and tile people, but um, but yeah, we have a very nice showroom. Um, but the showroom's for mums and dads. It's also for other flooring companies to come along and bring their clients, or to send their clients in. It's for builders to come in and do selections. It's for architects and designers to come in and do selections. And then right next to it, we've got the actual trade store, which has the supporting products to do said work, whether it be the DIYs, then all the professionals. Then we've got the warehouse. Um, then we've got another warehouse now to hold additional products. Like it's, it's, it's a weird setup where, as I said, we can help so many different parts 
of the industry, which made it really funny because when we actually were to go back sort of a couple of steps, when we were a supply and install business, you could imagine how weird it was when all of a sudden I'm not, we're not supplying and installing and we're just supplying, meaning that I'm, I'm then calling flooring companies and saying, Hey, we're not competing against you anymore. Um, we're actually here to support you now. Come down to the showroom, bring your clients. We can help you. Here's some work, by the way. It was kind of a weird sort of thing all of a sudden to sort of go from competitors to then being friends um, with some people. And, and again, some people, we still pretend to be competitors, I guess. But behind the scenes, we're sort of friends with almost everyone in the industry that's doing the right thing anyway. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a really unique setup. I love it. It's sort of evolved. And as I said before, it's the same location that we've always been. We've just slowly extended. Um, but there was no real plan at the start of how it would turn out. We've sort of evolved and adapted with what the market needs. And that was where it actually the whole business started to begin with because back when we first were doing supply and install jobs, that was the gap that we could find in the market was that there wasn't any one location that everyone could go to to get everything that they needed for flooring. We at the time were going all over the place to get the coatings and the trims and the adhesive and the flooring and... And it was like, we need, the, the, the industry needs this one location that everyone can come to. Um, so that's what we created. Um, and, and, and it's been amazing to see how well it's worked for the industry. Um, we're empowering so many different flooring companies um, that do incredible work. Um, and it's great because a lot of the work that's out there doesn't have our name attached to it, but it's nice knowing that the job originated with us and we probably designed it or specified it or trained the guy to do it in the back in the background. That gives us some, uh, you know, we don't need people to wave the flag all the time for us. We just like to know that the right thing's being done and maybe we started with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I know that me personally and, you know, I've come down early mornings on the way to jobs um, when we've had, I guess, cleaning um, questions or cleaning issues on our products or how to resurface, um, you know, and I've reached out to you on many occasions. Yeah. And every time you or Danny, uh, Jason, um, Braden, the whole team down there have just welcomed me in and, and taught me so much yep. about all those little trade things um, that, you know, I guess it is the place to come. It's the place, first place when someone asks me a question and I don't know, First place I call is um, generally it's Joss's personal mobile because I'm I'm privileged enough to have that. <laughs> I don't uh, always screen your calls. So yeah. I don't answer most of them. Disappointing. <laughs> Unlike you, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, I I, I want to thank you uh, for I guess having that unique business and and having a place that you know not only tradesmen, not only customers, but also suppliers that you know want to know more, yep. um, want to help their customers. And you're right. A lot of the times when I'm going and I'm passing on the knowledge that I've learned from you or the products that I've picked up on, on the run, on the way through, the tools, um, you know, I'm, I'm out there, I guess, sharing your information. Um, and... This guy. Yeah. Is there like a rule here or anything? This like guy. Is it yeah, ten, ten push-ups or is it oh, mate, we're chicken dance bring, or something? We have to bring something There's in. normally a rule like that, isn't yeah. there? Look, Michael's apologising from the the bottom of his heart for oh, yeah, that rude like interruption, it. which will be staying face, in this episode just so people can see. <laughs> it's it's funny when you, when you set a rule and you don't follow your own rule. It's still as I say, not as I do. checking their phones now. Yeah, yeah so um, a general uh, notice out um, before <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> Sorry. 
put your phones on airplane mode. Yeah. So I do apologise to <laughs> everyone out there, and especially you, Josh. Um, and yeah, you're in the middle of thanking me too. So oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm, oh, only yeah. Kidding, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. See that that was <laughs> that was a perfect timing, yeah. and um, yeah, I was in the middle of thanking you um, because, as I said, you know we've known each other for over twelve years. And, um, you know, you've always been there for me. You've always been there for Clever. And, you know, you've taught, you and your team, you know, have taught me so much. Yeah. And it's why we continue, you know, to, to network and spend a lot of time together. Um, you know, I model a lot of what I do on, you know, what, what you guys, I know we've had many discussions about how we grow each, you know, grow our own businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to have business partners, you know, similar to straight up here with, you know, Matt as well, that you can work with. Yeah. And like you said, sharing information um, to me is also a massive thing. Yeah. Um, to have all that information and to hold it within, yep. I just think is a waste. Like, yeah. Why, why would you spend so many years gathering all this information and not sharing it? Um, so, yeah, so that's it's what we do as well. Um, and, yeah, I'll finish off with uh, an uninterrupted, Thank you. For, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just on that though, that that's and that and and the, the the interesting thing is that we, whilst we know that we do a lot of training and information is key, the big thing that we always remember is that we still don't know what we don't know. Mm. So we're still learning, um, which is interesting because you know there are people in the industry that feel like they know everything, and we all know that as soon as you start saying you know everything, that's when you know possibly nothing. Um, so always being open to learning something new and uh, you know because now as you're saying now be now as uh, as everyone starts to know or trust that we might be the people that you need to speak to that puts a lot of pressure on us to always make sure that we do know the latest thing that's out there so it comes with a pretty pretty big responsibility but we like it mm. and on the flip side i also appreciate you know the fact that you do call us down uh, to learn from us as well. Yeah. Um, and every time I've gone in there, um, you know, the whole team's always trying to absorb as much information out of us as well. Because uh, as a manufacturer, as a wholesaler, you know, there's a lot of information that we also gather and test and um, and to be able to pass that on and, you know, have your team continuously sort of ringing us and, you know, making sure that what they're saying is, is correct. Yep. Um, you know, makes us feel comfortable to know that, you know, the right information's being passed on. Yeah, and if I can too, I'm remembering back to the first time I actually started to deal with Clever. Um, and I still remember it specifically, it was a Melbourne, there was a Melbourne trade show in conjunction with the awards. Um, and I've forgotten his name. I shouldn't have forgotten his name, but who was the... Simon. Simon, that's right. Thank you. Sorry, Simon. Uh, Simon was there with his little stand and and already back then we already were getting approached almost weekly for someone who wants to supply flooring through our store. And we already knew how easy it is to bring something over from China and stick a brand on it and, and, and promote it as the best product that's out there. And there was just, there's still hundreds of those sorts of brands coming up. So we get approached all the time, but something really stuck out for me with, with you guys. Um, Cause it, originally, I, don't, I, I guess we can bring it up. It was called clever bamboo to begin with when it very, very first started. Correct. Um, and at the time, yeah, bamboo was pretty popular. But what I could see different about you guys, and I think that's what's um, why we've we formed such a strong relationship, is 
I could see that you guys had similar principles to us already early on. And what I mean by that is you weren't just trying to bring a brand in and make some money and then disappear from the industry like so many have done before. You were interested to know what's coming. What do you guys think? What's a good product? What What's easier to install? What, how do we fix this? And you were always asking questions. Simon was always asking questions. You were always asking questions. So you're always interested in, you know, how do we get better? Mm. Um, not how do we make more money, which is, you know, usually, you know, we, we've said this so many times before. I feel like we could have retired 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe even if we'd done what other people had done and just brought cheap products out, stuck a nice brand on it, call it something fancy and try and convince everyone it's really good, make massive margins, leave a trail of destruction and then leave the industry. But it's again, it's that's going against all of our principles and that's not a long-term plan either. Um, and I think that's, you know, I guess I was right originally when my gut was telling me that you guys had something different going on because you, you, you're here today as, you know, one of the biggest suppliers in Australia now. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's a credit to see. I love it. I love it. I love being part of, obviously, your journey as well. And it's great that you um, did bring up Simon Simon Scott, the founding father of um, Clever Choice. And, you know, I also learned a lot off him. Um, he was sort of my mentor for, yeah, well over 10 years. Um, and that was one of the most important things that he taught me is don't put the money first. Yeah. Put the people first. Yeah. If you put the people first and you really look after their needs, ask them what they want and mm -hmm. give it to them, mm -hmm. the money will follow. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, not only the money, but the passion and yeah. the relationships, the support. the support and everything else that we now, you know, build upon um, from that very early days and, you know, the wisdom and, you know, I still, even though Simon's um, moved on now and semi-retired, mm -hmm. um, he's still, you know, someone that I go to for advice and, and ring and, and now, you know, doing very well with his um, business coaching yep. um, business that he does. Um, so, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's been great from that. Mm. Glad that uh, you and Simon got on those yeah. very early days and here we are today. Definitely. So you've mentioned uh, that uh, Alberto, originally from Portugal, mm -hmm. um, and also knowing your business, you um, do cork. Yes. Tell us the um, links between um, between the cork and your Portugal um, heritage. Well, I guess, yeah, well, it's cork, but it's a slightly different style of cork, and I'll explain that in a moment. But cork, if you aren't aware, is, I guess, part of pretty much all heritage in Portugal. There's cork trees everywhere. I think it's 55 or 60 odd percent of the world's cork production comes from Portugal. Right. Um, and my father being from Portugal, it means that he's just constantly grown up around cork. It's become a thing. I mean, he was telling me just the other night actually of stories about how they used to peel but, um, bits of cork off a tree, like a bark off a tree. Yep. And they'd make like little racing boats and they'd cut little bits up to like make shock absorbers for their go billy carts and little protection <laughs> things for the edge of their race carts. And like cork was just used for everything. Yeah, wow. Um, so Alberto always had a really good understanding of cork and its natural benefits like the acoustics and the thermals and the vibrations and all sorts of things. And it's always been used as flooring, as we know, um, as a decorative floor as we were sort of talking about earlier on with my father doing a lot of a lot of cork floors originally on but uh, originally but the side of cork that we've sort of I guess for in some ways fallen into um, is the actual acoustic side of it um, 
we always knew that cork was being used on a big scale overseas for acoustic underlays. Um, and it was a far better option than like the obvious like recycled toxic rubbers and you know the, there's the foams and stuff like that but nothing performs just like cork but being from portugal it's pretty far away there's not many people that can access it um so we thought this might be a, a unique opportunity to bring some of the natural benefits of cork to australia um so we started using it ourselves actually as an acoustic underlay for many many years on on projects and started turning into big projects into full high rises and then it sort of turned into well we should sort of give this opportunity for other people now around australia to start promoting it and using it as a much better alternative um and i guess just as a little sort of a, an asterisk cork i don't know if, if you're if you're aware we actually most people aren't even aware of where cork even comes from i know do you know no roughly no we've had so actually we had someone the other day try and tell me that it came from the ocean um, but cork, actually, believe it or not, is the comes bar- from a wine bottle, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's actually, yeah, you're not wrong. I'll get onto that in a moment. Cork originates actually as just the bark of a tree, yep. and it gets peeled off the tree, and then mulched and turned into different products. Usually, wine stoppers to begin with. That's the first thing they usually make with cork. But the the key to it is that if we don't peel the cork off the tree, the tree will die. Right. It restricts its growth. So if you don't peel the cork off the tree, it'll die or, or stunt its growth and probably after maybe 25, 30 years, that might be the end of that cork tree's life. But if we peel the cork, yep. it'll then grow back and then we peel it again and then we grow, and then it grows back wow. and we can continue this process every seven to nine years for about 200 to 250 years on just one tree. So the wow. using of the cork is actually beneficial for the tree, the tree which yeah. is obviously then beneficial for the environment. And then the benefits that cork actually has as a product in your home, that's a whole nother conversation. But where it's funny that you talk about it, cork coming from wine bottles, we now actually, and that's the newest product that we're bringing out into Australia, is we're now actually recycling wine stoppers yep. and turning them into decorative cork products to put on the wall. So it's like a, it's this whole circular mm. um, system that we're talking about where we, you know, we're creating a benefit by using it in the beginning we're then recreating another benefit by reusing it and then put passing on even more benefits by actually physically using it in someone's home with the acoustics and the noise and uh, sorry the, the acoustics and the thermals and like it's an absolute wonder product it's amazing and so again going back to our original heritage it just seems like a no-brainer that yeah. we really should be promoting this as much as we can and 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 pushing it and architects are loving it you know the push for natural products in someone's project or home is massive so now that we can actually say, well, why not use cork and use something that's, you know, we need to use, yep. but also has a massive benefits for everyone involved, people are loving it. Yeah. People are loving it. And it's unique. It's mm. beautiful. I know it takes away from a little bit of the timber, but it's a perfect complement to the natural side of things. Um, With a great green story. You yeah, know, exactly. The fact that um, you're not cutting trees down, so you're not um, hurting the environment. That's right. Um, you're re- recycling um, the cork to be able to reuse it again. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's huge, in especially a lot of the big buildings now trying to achieve, you know, five, six, seven-star green, yeah. green ratings. Um, that's a massive benefit. Yeah. So we know it's going to be a product that everyone's going to eventually need to get hold of. So, we, you know, uh, what started as a bit of a side project for ourselves has sort of turned into something much bigger than itself and you know it won't be long before you see it sort of popping up in every state in australia thanks to people like yourself yeah as well now it's not only just for flooring right 
there's other applications. Can you stick it on walls? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So the recycled stuff is yeah. actually where we're recycling that and turning it into wall panels with a peel and stick backing. Right. Just peel and stick it to the wall. Um, you could even stick it into a sound studio like this type well, of Well, that was going to be my question. Yeah. We yep. might be coming to talk to you about next door. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we're starting to already do with it. We're putting it into offices. We're putting it into meeting rooms. Um I'm, I actually put it in my own office at home, partly because I've got a racing simulator in there that's far too loud. So it deafens, <laughs> it just sort of dampens the noise to the neighbours and to my partner who's trying to, you know, peacefully enjoy um, another part of the house <laughs> while I'm shaking it to shit. Um, so, yeah, so I put some of my wall up at home. So um, it looks great too. And it's, it's uh, just the benefits of it, just incredible in terms of how many benefits come from a product after it's even used. But then the benefits that are that are um, included for the actual recycling of it. It's just like I said, it's a wonder product. It's in almost everything. It's in tip. It's in the tips of rocket ships. It's in boats. It's in cars. It's yeah. in trains. It's in all your cars. It's it's amazing. Yeah, so it to is. be able to bring that and bring some excitement to it too, because a lot of people think of cork and they think of their grandma's floor, and it look, all looked exactly the same. But now we've got different colours and different styles and different patterns and. It's really, really unique. It's very exciting. So it's really, it's, that's another part of what you do. So you're not only just a flooring shop. No. Not a trade shop. No. But you're also an importer, wholesaler. Yes, yeah, yep. And I think this come about finding the right product. As I said we were earlier on, is finding the right product for some people. This is the right product for some people and, and there's nothing else that can tick the amount of boxes that this does. So I guess it just sort of tied in with our, our values overall of finding the right product for people and bringing the benefits to other people. And, you know, it makes sense that if we're from Portugal, we'll, we'll bring some love from Portugal as well. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so geez, it ma- makes me wonder how, um, how you find the time. Do you sleep? <laughs> um, because I've just noticed you've just come back um, from, a, from a nice long trip to Cambodia. Yes. Well, I guess firstly, yes, I do sleep <laughs> more than I used to. Going back to before, I think that's part of why I wanted to create a, a great team yep. because I realised that if it's, if it's limited to me or my father, then, you know, we're, we're doing ourselves an injustice and the industry. Um, so we can do a lot now because obviously I've got a great team of people. But yes, I was in Cambodia, uh, which is a bit of a passion project and it's a bit of a reset for me. And it actually started as a bit of a private project where I would go over there and we we build houses for those that are at most risk. So we're in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Um, so this is yeah. not a leisure holiday sitting on the beach. Not completely leisurely, no, no. I mean, there are obviously part little bits of it um, for balance, I guess. Um, but no, the most, the, the most of it is going out into the middle of nowhere, 40 plus degrees heat. There's no power, no water, or no running water, I should say. There's dirty water. Um, but then just being surrounded by just hundreds and hundreds of beautiful people that have nothing going, nothing in their life really happening for them as far as, you know, most of them don't have a home. They don't know where their next meal's coming. The nearest hospital's pretty far. They've got a pretty tough life. Mm. Um, and like I said, we started off as a bit of a, as a side project for myself, um, always knowing that I wanted to give back and help even more. So we did it privately and now we are, as of about th- three weeks ago, we just finished our 11th home. Congratulations. Um, so it's 
it's turned into something much bigger. We're obsessed with it. Um, and it is selflessly selfish. I know that we're helping a lot of people, but a lot of it is for myself as well because it does make me feel really, really good. Um, it energizes me. I love seeing how much these people, you know, how much we can improve their life. But I love feeding off just them in general. They're the happiest people, always smiling, always laughing, and they've got so many reasons to be so upset. Um, and I guess it, it makes... Uh, we almost get a little bit shitty with ourselves in a sense that we re we recognise when we're there how precious we are in Australia or how precious we think we are. Um, you know, we sit at home and we might complain about the Wi-Fi being too slow or the Uber Eats guys taking too long or, you know, fill in the blank. They're all valid arguments. Well, the, <laughs> depending on the circumstance, yeah, they seem very valid at the time. But then when you're standing in the middle of a village and, you know, you're seeing some kids running around in the bush and you ask someone in translation, you know, what are those kids doing? And someone's like, oh, they're probably trying to find rats for dinner. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's a check. It's then a smack in the face of like, holy, we really... You know, we've we've got far, you know, far better things to be doing than to be sitting around worrying about some of the stupidest things that we do. And I know it's relative, um, but it is like a reality check for us, and I love it. You don't often hear really any complaints out of me for the next sort of six months or so after coming back from Cambodia. So it's become something that I'm just going to continue to do every year. Um, it's amazing that through COVID we managed to work out how to do it without even being there. I've got a strong little group of locals that we trust big time because we're partly helping their family as well, but we've been able to work out how to get a, get a house built without even being in Cambodia. Um, and because there's no charity involved, it's very cheap. Um, all my time's volunteer. There's no admin. There's no nothing. So we can we can do a lot with a little. Yep. Um, and I've had some friends jump in and build a house and, you know, I keep them up to date with how the families are going. And on the last trip that we were there, we visited all 11 families in one day. And it's hard to put into words because it was just mind boggling to see how far some of the families had come because you're giving them something simple as a house, which to, you know, to us, I guess it's a big deal. It's not a house like we think here, over here, of course, but once you give them a house, I guess it gives them that base principle or something, to, a, a good base to work from. So then all of a sudden you hear about the mum and dad getting jobs and the kids are allowed to then go to school and, um, you know, they've got one less worry. And it's, when I say one less worry, it's a major worry because mm. the other, the alternative to this is they live in a little lean-to that they kind of build every few months when the storms come through and blow it away. And they might save up and each year maybe buy one part of the home, so maybe one concrete post. And then maybe after 25, 30, 35 years, maybe, they might then have enough materials and then they'll get everyone in town to come in and, and build a house for them. So you could imagine when we when we come in there and in four days we, we totally transform their life. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, the, the, the Through broken translation, the amount of thank yous that we, that we get and seeing the happiness and the supposed lives that we've, we're saving, it's just, it's epic. It's, yeah, it makes me feel a bit funny thinking about it when I sort of go back through it. It's, it's amazing. And again, I guess like the cork thing I was talking about before, like it just feels like we're in this unique scenario where it's like, I shouldn't keep this to myself. Yep. So the more people we can tell about it, the more people that can get involved. 
and we know you're in a unique scenario because people can't just get on a plane and fly over there and go out into the village and help. They'll, you know, you'll probably get arrested because I wonder what you're doing out there. Um, so we're going to just keep doing it, keep doing as much as we can. We might one day do a clever house, maybe. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'm in awe. I'm truly in awe. Um, we've spoken to Pancare in an earlier episode. And I'm sort of getting heavily involved, um, you know, with donating our time and energy and marketing, um, raising awareness for that. And But to hear your story, um, you know, you're, you're getting out there, you're living, you're breathing. You're, well, we get to see it. You're firsthand. doing this. We yeah, get to see it. Firsthand. And then just to hear your experiences, um, you know, it's a feeling, I guess, we all um well i know i do you know to have that sort of feeling of just giving yeah um and it's something that i guess we all get brought up you know sort of hearing that you know it's better to give than receive yeah um and to sit here in awe and and just listen to your story uh to hear that you're giving with nothing in return but but what you're getting in return is so much more than what you gave and it's motivation it's motivation to one make the you know the, the business do better better the business can do the more opportunities i get to go and help these guys um even more and now we're getting the long-term effects the long-term benefits where the you know the house that we built the the family built a house for back in 2017 or 18 you know the young girl who you know was very shy obviously at the beginning is now at school you know and sharing photos with them and then connecting up the dots of like you know we were the people that came here x amount of years ago and you know I don't know, it's just really cool to see the long-term effects as well. We feel like we've got an extended family over there. I love it. Yeah, 100%. It's an emotional time. It's an emotional time. So, no, not exactly a holiday. Yeah. Um, but a holiday in a sense that it is a reset. Um, remotivates me, pumps me up again. Um, it was only just last night that me and my partner were already looking at when we're going to go next. And I think we're going to probably be already booking our next trip in sort of April, May and just continue on. How long do you go for? Anywhere from about a week to... 10 days but now that's that's sort of the next plan is we might look at starting to stay there for a bit longer and longer yep. and help more and more people i mean even just to, just to give you some sort of small numbers on it you know the most people earn is there is around about one to maybe two dollars a day maybe that's only maybe wow so you know if we're to get if we're to provide them food it might cost us fifty dollars and that's food for a family of maybe six to eight people f- and that'll give them food for probably about a month and a half and that's fifty dollars you know we we build, we build a home for almost the cost of an iPhone these days really and that changes the lives of you know generations because it's it's you start what starts as a mum and a daughter and you know maybe a husband then turns into the the grandmother moving in and her sister moving in and maybe the auntie moving in and then her daughter's daughter or something moving in. You, have, you go back in a few years' time and there's like 12 people living in this house. <laughs> but I don't know what they would have done otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great work. And I'm sure if people out there want to, um, you know, help and contribute for your up-and-coming trips, they can come and see you in the in the store. Or yeah, we've got a GoFundMe that we sort of unofficially use, I guess, which is, I don't know if I can promote it, but it's Build Cambodia. If yep. you if you Definitely. look on GoFund, we'll put the link in the show notes. So yeah. you can have a look there, and we'll promote um, it on the on social. And we can do it in a, un- a unique way as well. We we open enough to say if you want to tell us specifically what you want us to do. You know, we get some people that say, "Here's a hundred dollars. Can you just buy toys for the kids?" Sure, we'll film it. We'll show you the whole thing. Hundred dollars is a lot. We'll probably end up cleaning an entire shop out, which means that we're also benefiting a local shop as well and some local family, and then taking the stuff out. But yeah, it's exciting. I love it. I love it. Never want it to stop. 
No, well, yeah. Why would you? <laughs> exactly. Why would you? Exactly. So, mate, what's next for for the showroom and for the sh- for for Marquis Flooring? What's next? What's next? Uh, what's next is well, we're slowly building the team. Um, people always say, well, "Why do you need more?" Um, again, I guess we need more people to help more people. Um, there's still a we, even though we've got you know we're busy. There's still a lot more people that we want to be able to reach. Um, Part of that will be the cork side of things and expanding that into more parts of Australia. Um, the other part that's, I guess, growing at the moment is our specification side of thing. And what I mean by that is, you know, dealing with the architects and designers who come to us specifically and say, well, here's our project. We need something specifically that meets this style guide or this this type of um, finish or this type of star rating or whatever it might be. So having a couple more people on board that can again spend even more time some of those big projects sometimes you might spend a year on before it actually comes to fruition um so that's time that you're taking away from from someone else so probably more more people to to um to kick that off in a big way um we have talked about possibly opening up a smaller store somewhere else again like a bit more of a satellite type store again because we're getting more people that are a little bit too far from us to come and see us, that want to come and see us. And we, t- at the moment, we still get people that make a, you know, they make a specific trip and they might drive two hours to come to the showroom and, and they know it's going to be worth their time. Because um, it's, you know, everyone's done the showroom on wheels thing, but it doesn't really work if you want to do a proper showroom because we've got like 700 different products. We'd have to drive, we'd have to turn up in a semi-trailer to show <laughs> them all the samples. Um, well, that, could, that could be a first. Well, that could be a first. <laughs> I've, I've thought about it. Um, I've seen your dad also driving around yeah, in yes, We do have a few trucks, so we could turn one of those <laughs> into one as well. So you're bringing more people into the team, um, empowering a few more people, doubling down on, our, I guess, on our marketing side of things, and that's more so, again, going back to being able to spread the word even more and create more noise around doing the right thing, what to avoid, how to get the best out of your floor. It re- really just pushing back on the on the on the training side of things and just constantly getting that message out there, I think is what we want to try and do. Um, avoiding the issue jobs for other people is is I guess what we'd really, really like to, to see happen. Um, and I feel like because I feel like the way the industry's going, I guess this is like an inside scoop of what we tell, what we sort of talk about internally. The way I think the industry's going is the industry is starting to understand how important the right product is and how dangerous it is when it's not done right. So I feel like there's going to be a big space for specialists like ourselves, And I think we are slowly bridging that gap between or separating the specialists from the everyday carpet shops, which we need. They're not doing the wrong thing. But I think people are slowly starting to recognise the difference between a weekend warrior job and going to get something from a XYZ shop that just does a cookie cutter approach versus then we need to then go see a specialist. Um, so I think it's sort of separating those two a little bit more and giving them a bit more space. Um, and then helping, I guess, more flooring guys to get better, to earn some good money, of course, to you know give themselves a good lifestyle. Um, and give them the jobs that allow them to put some love into it. There's nothing better than, than than having a job where it's obviously budget conscious, but not to a sense where they're trying to really screw someone down. So you can literally say to an installer, here you go, put some love, put some time into this, make it really nice, and I'm sure it'll reward him or her. One of the, I guess, the other main points we bring up on um, on our discussions with all our guests is 
the level of training and professionalism within our installers. Yep. Um, and then I guess the lack of installers out there at the moment, uh, the lack of skilled installers. Um, what's your opinion on on that, and what do you guys do to to help in that sort of sector? Oh, it's um, it's so hard because it is a really really slow burn. Um, a little example I guess I could make would be. We always obviously say with it amongst a team that, you know, no flooring guy will make the same mistake twice. And often they, they don't. Um, but there is a very much a uh, big element of when someone's told that that's not the right way to do it or there is a better way to do it, you, the often response will be, oh, I've been doing it like that for 20 years. So they feel it must be the right way to do it. So slowly getting the message across that, you know, you need to learn to adapt and get better and learn better skills to in order to you know avoid more problems and and do better with your jobs um that's that's eventually what's slowly sticking an example that i'm that i was just going to get on is that up until probably about two years ago leveling and moisture barriers were almost unheard of um people like us were pushing it saying you need to level you need to moisture barrier and for a long time, it was oh that was just that's that's not necessary. Why well, would I want to spend money underneath the floor and I can't even see it? To the point now, we've come full circle and we've done two, three training sessions with it now in the last couple of years. Now, leveling has now become one of the biggest parts of the industry because going back to what we originally said at the start of this podcast, and it's a good full circle, is that the key to a really good job is in the preparation, and guys are now realizing hey, if I want to do a really good job that's going to stand out, I need to learn how to level and I need to learn how to do all the prep. And that's sort of one of the things I say to a lot of customers is, is you know, the best installers that are out there, you won't see them lay a board on the first day because the first day will be set up around all the preparation. So it's, it's a slow burn, but it's, it is really a case of sharing stories between what makes a job work and what makes a job not work. And how expensive those jobs are that don't work. And as I said before, it's, sometimes it's a shame that people don't learn the lesson until it costs them twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, and a whole string of customers. Um, but the more we can spread the the, the stories, the the quicker we're going to get. You know, I just had an installer the other day who's never leveled his entire life, who's called me saying, "I think I need to learn how to level." And I was like, "I'm I'm glad you're finally realizing." <laughs> Um, because it's only going to benefit you. And I think people get scared to ask because sometimes you might spend more on levelling than you do on the actual floor. But and that, and it that's makes really, it right. It's an important message, isn't it, like for us, for all our customers out there. I know, Matt, you're um, looking at doing your floor at the moment. Yeah. And it's been a huge discussion around yes. the subfloor, the preparation. Seriously nerve-wracking. <laughs> we were just talking about it off air, like how you didn't realise the amount of preparation that goes into um, mm. a good floor. Into a, a really good, good floor. Came know. away with more questions than answers. Yeah. And that's when you know you're speaking to the right <laughs> yeah, people, though. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh, now, so I'm not going to get the price and everything done right now, and you're not going to start. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Well, and if you do, there's yeah. people for that, yeah, but just, yeah. you know, you're going to get a different quality of job. Yeah. And that's exactly what we spoke about. Mumph down the track, he's still painting his balustrades. He's stripping <laughs> old timber. He's, you know, now having to remove skirting. And, you know, there's so many things that... Um, oh, because you've got to do it in the right order as well. I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> but... It's worth it, I assure you. 100%. And that's that's a clear message that we're, we're you know, really promoting here is that, you know, the time and effort is mm. definitely worth it. 
I still stare at my floor. I did my own floor rec- uh, about two years ago, and I still could be watching a really good movie, and I'm still looking at the floor, and I'm like, God, that looks good. <laughs> <laughs> Partly because I did it some of it myself, but yeah. also just because it's just it is when you do it right, it's a, a thing of beauty. Yeah. So Beck, my wife, if you're listening. I'm not the only crazy one out there <laughs> that sits there and stares at floors. No, there's definitely some crazies. I thought it was only Michael. There's definitely some crazies. So thank you, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, mate, we, we've taken more than enough of your time. I and mean, It's been fun. I've really enjoyed it. It has. It's been great. So the best place to contact you guys, marquiseflooring.com.au. Yes, or on any of the socials. Yep. Um, for any of those people that love all the pretty pictures, we've got a separate social as well, which is Marquise Flooring Design which is specifically for all just the really nice projects that's yep. going to sort of grow quite a bit. Um, we've got the eco-cork side of things that we we touched on. And then, as I've, I said, if you want to give back, uh, Build Cambodia, which is also on Instagram as well, yep. if you wanted to. We'll put all those links in the show notes as well and, and promote them on our socials as well. So, yep. mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. What a thank gentleman. You. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, thanks. He really so enjoyed it. And, mate, we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Thanks so Appreciate much. It. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to coming back. Thank you. Excellent. See you later. Thank you. listening to The Underlay. If you want to hear more, follow us on all good podcast platforms.